This is The Lighthouse, where we talk to entrepreneurs and visionary leaders, not just about how to survive in today's business environment, but how to thrive. My guests have become beacons within their industries. They have measurably changed the game, drawing talent and clients by the brightness of their mission. Welcome to The Lighthouse. Welcome to The Lighthouse. Sean Ronis with me today from Life Couple. Sean, how are you? Fantastic. I'm uh, I am so thrilled. I'm so psyched to uh, to actually have you on the on the podcast because you are a real in the trenches, real deal entrepreneur. Battle scars, wounds, busted nose, uh, and you're incredibly handsome because you look exactly like me. Some have said, um, but uh, tell us a little bit about your backstory. Give us a, give the audience uh, of 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 entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs out there a sense of of who you are and what you've done to this point. Well, I appreciate that uh, kudos, and uh, I would agree as far as my looks, but I would definitely say I am definitely uh, above your uh, look standard. Uh, I'm not trying to compete. <laughs> All right, there's no no reason to get into arguments here, oh, like yeah. blue uh, blue uh, states, uh, red states. Like we're gonna we're gonna go down a rabbit hole. And before you know it, we're going to have people that are complaining that we've gone off the track of really what the intention is today, which is to find out all about Life Couple and about your, your journey uh, to making Life Couple a reality. Fantastic. So let me give you a little background. Um, very, very uh, entrepreneurial at an early age. One of my first entrepreneurial ventures was at the young age of... 12 years old. I was living in New York. I'm a diehard hockey fanatic, a diehard New York Islander fan. And oh, boo, boo. Sorry to hear that, but <laughs> me, and my, me and my best friend took a silk screening class and we decided to create Ranger Suck bumper stickers. And we had a brilliant idea that we were going to drive, we were going to take our bikes from where we lived. We told the parents that we were each spending the night at each other's house. So we took our Ranger Suck bumper stickers and we rode from Westbury, Long Island, across Eisenhower Park, across the street, went to Uniondale, the Nassau Coliseum, and we were selling our bumper stickers for a dollar a piece. And the Islander fans were loving it. The only challenge that we had was is it started to rain. So while we were selling the bumper stickers and people were taking them and putting them right back on their car, we used water-based ink and it was not fun. What a disaster. So you figured out two things in that first, you know, the first uh, entrepreneurial endeavor. One is that, you know, you got to expect the worst conditions possible. Like everything that you, your, your best laid plan is bound to fail. And two, uh, Potvin still sucks, and the Rangers rule. Just so you know, um, <laughs> but I, do you think that's a? In all seriousness, though, I love that. I think it's a a common thread. I always say that I was the little kid on the back of the school bus selling bubble gum for a quarter piece and taking the dollar that I earned and buying four packs and sixteen packs. Do you think that's a universal quality? Like, is entrepreneurism something that's like either in you or not in you from like the earliest age? I agree because what happened, we didn't just take our bikes and quickly get out of Dodge with our money. We went back and we then used oil-based ink and we created flyer suck bumper stickers. <laughs> that's something we can agree upon. So, so, and that's, you know, bo- you know, Broad Street Bully Flyers Dave Schultz era. So 
at that point in time, that entrepreneurial spirit was there because what I focus on and what I say to everybody, my expertise is getting up, getting up, meaning when adversity hits or when something doesn't go right, not necessarily saying that it's time to throw the towel in, but saying that it's time to basically rethink or pivot or create a new idea. And a lot of times what happens is, is with a lot of entrepreneurs is, is they get very focused on that this idea is going to work and they go and surround themselves with a lot of people that tell them that this is the best idea that they've ever heard, which sometimes to me is the kiss of death. You want to surround yourself with people that are going to obviously tell you what you don't want to hear, but that doesn't mean that you can't keep forging forward. But what I always say is, is what separates a true entrepreneur from a wantpreneur is, is the ability to get up and the willing, the ability to take adversity and basically look at it in the eye and not listen to that little voice in the back of you know, our head that says, okay, I tried, I failed. Now I'm just going to basically go into that rabbit hole, as you said earlier, but say, you know what, I'm going to get, as I call it, Steve, Steve Austin, remember the $6 million man, I'm going to get stronger, faster. You know, you, you, you got to get out. You got to get, I I remember, I remember, you know, specifically at the point where I like self-identified as an entrepreneur, because when we were kids and you're like the same age as me, like entrepreneurism was not a cool thing to be. Like that was not something that everybody was like, oh, like I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Like people are still focused on being Hollywood, you know, success stories and doctors and lawyers and getting good jobs. And, and like entrepreneurism was, was really not a mainstream concept that people endeavored into. But I remember sitting in an econ class. I had a a professor named Dr. Lefsky, Martin Lefsky, who had a hair helmet that Darth Vader would be jealous of. Um, and he talked about how entrepreneurism was about accepting risk for the potential gain and reward. And what you're talking about of getting up is about that risk tolerance, right? Because, you know, a lot of times when people lose, they, they stop wanting to take that next step. They stop wanting to go back in there and, and give it another go. And, uh, and, and I, I, would, I would agree. Like, it's not just the, the, the willingness to sleep on the mattress, right? It's not just the willingness to eat ramen. It's the willingness to eat ramen again, right? It's the willingness to sleep on the mattress again. Yes, and uh, and I think I think uh, you know that's why it's torture for our family members, right? Which we'll get to that a I little agree. bit later. Um, but uh, and and life couple and how how that can certainly you know help people. But so so you know you start selling bumper stickers and then you know talk about some of your other successes and failures, things that other people would call wild successes and some would call you know, you would probably call them failures and learning opportunities. So, so, you know, one of the things that I really focus on, and I think it's the chip that I have. And I believe that a lot of times a true good entrepreneur has a chip on his shoulder, something that really drives him. And a lot of times, you know, we do it for different reasons, but, you know, I was never the best student. I wasn't, uh, particularly, uh, you know, getting into the Ivy league school right out of, uh, you know, high school. And one of the things that I focused in on is, is, I'd know how to grind it out. I call myself almost like a fourth liner that I can go in and do what it needs to be done to, you know, spark the team up and, and, and start getting momentum because I'm all about momentum. So one of the things after college was, is that, you know, I had a, an opportunity to go work for a company called ADP, which was a great job. And I learned a lot, but I learned that I don't want to work or be involved in a big corporate environment. I just, I'm not wired that way. 
And it didn't dawn on me until after that position that I went into another position and I realized that there was just something of a disconnect. I wanted to do something, be my own person. But the challenge of being your own person, it sounds all exciting, glory, everything when you see those successes, but the failures, I mean, you're alone, you're on an island and it's, it's, it's rough. And you, do you, think, do you was it a case of Icarus getting too close to the sun? Was it that your personality and your disposition um, was, you know, just pushed against the conformity and the compliance? Because I think that's the biggest, what I find that I, you know, most loathe about corporate America is compliance and, and, you know, getting in line and going along with the plan and, and where there's no room for thoughtful disagreement. I mean, is, I, that, I would, is that, would you, would you, is that what I would agree. Is? I would agree, but I, I take it one further. And that is, is, you know, it's, it's a trait that's been somewhat exciting. Well, it's a trait that I find it's a positive, but it's also a trait that's a negative. And that is, is that I'm brutally real. So for me, it's very tough. Candor. <laughs> yeah. Candor and honesty. Yeah. It, well, it's tough for me to be in an environment where you're listening to somebody and you know that they're blowing smoke up your ass or they're just trying to get you rah-rah and they don't practice what they preach, that they've never made a cold call. Yeah, and hypocrisy, never, well, yep. Yeah, yeah. So for me, that's what killed me the most. It was that, it was that you know, have you done it? Have you basically sat in a room and made, you know, three hours worth of, cold calls and gotten literally nowhere? Have you gotten marketing material that sucks that really no one wants to open up? And, you know, the whole rah-rah bit really started to bother me. And in those meetings, I would call people out and that is not a good trait to move up the corporate Yeah, rah, rah-rah and alcohol only get a business so far, right? Yes. <laughs> like, you know, like- that. I love that. <laughs> but it's but it's true, right? It's like keep them like motivated and and wasted and maybe they'll just keep going to work in spite of what's going on in their bank account building someone else's business. Yeah, right? and, and it, it's funny is is because I always use the term, you know, the little table at Thanksgiving. I always just felt absolutely just demoralized when I would see that I would be coming up with these great ideas or the team that I was a part of was coming up with these great ideas. And then we would basically be at the little table at Thanksgiving. We wouldn't get that invite into that room. And the people that we were making look good were actually trying to shelf us or make us out. Yeah, masquer- masquerading as the ide- ideation like team and, and, and masquerading as the people that knew what was going on when the reality was it was, it was happening at a different table in a different room. Absolutely. And, and it, it bothered me. And that's when I realized that this just not, this was just not suited. That's self-awareness, like the ability to kind of like figure out like, am I good at this? Cause there's a lot of people that go into entrepreneurism that have no business in entrepreneurism. It's like, it's the same thing as like, there's a lot of people that go into sales that have no business in sales. They don't like people. They're not communicative. They don't have discipline, right? Like, or they, 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 they don't grind it out the way you said you do the willingness to kind of go the extra mile. And, and, um, you've got all these people that are masquerading as something that they're not. And, um, you know, and and I think that it's dangerous. It's dangerous for people to become entrepreneurs unless they are, you know, willing to be a little bit crazy. And I think, I think what I've learned about you really pretty quickly, what's really evident is you're a little bit crazy. Like, I mean, you're like, there's, you know, a lot of people probably tell you you're nuts, you're out of your mind, you're crazy. And I can imagine in a corporate setting, 
they see that craziness as a threat as opposed to as you know this ball of energy it's an it's a spark that's ready to ignite into something that is you know so powerful um but you know why don't you share a little bit about you know the crazy endeavors that Absolutely. got you on the cover of entrepreneur magazine sure so that's a great that's a great lead in so back in the dot com era i was seeing a lot of I would want to call entrepreneurs that were raising capital and the ideas were absolutely absurd, the valuations, et cetera. And at the time I was trying to obtain for a product of mine, some capital because it was literally making a lot of legway in the likes of the targets and the Walmarts, et cetera, et cetera. And I was going nowhere. And at the time I was like, well, maybe I need to do some kind of publicity stunt or something of that nature. And then a, kind of a, a, an interesting thing came about. Um, one of my very good friends um, made a very large trade on Wall Street. And he said, look, man, I'll fund anything you do, but I want you to do something kind of absolutely crazy. And I started looking at some things and, and they were kind of like, wow, well, that's not that crazy. But I always had this, I, I want to call it, I've always had this uh, love or I always liked bull riding. I don't know if uh, you know anybody is familiar with bull riding. I'm not talking about mechanical bull riding, but like real like bull PBR. riding. PBR. <laughs> right, like PBR. PBR. And, and the way it came about was is there was a guy named George Michael, and he used to have this thing in New York called the George Michael Time Machine. And back in the day, there was these two bull riders that were very unique. That the, the point was of both of them. One came from Brooklyn, New York, and the other one came from Watts. So those are not your two areas where you're finding bull riders, Brooklyn, New York, and Watts. Yeah, no, it's Texas and Nebraska, right? So I always had a fascination for bull riding. And the one thing that I really, really loved about bull riding at that time when I said, you know what, I'd really like to do uh, look into bull riding was is that every time you get on that bull or these gentlemen got on that bull and they got their head handed to them, they literally had to get back up off the dirt and get back on. Yeah. Otherwise and, you get your balls stepped on. Well, not only your balls, <laughs> right? like you get your teeth knocked out Well, by a 2000 pound bull. But the, you know, it's more than that. It's the fact that they got back on and they tried it again. I mean, when you look at statistics of, how many bull riders last, you know, the eight seconds. And then you look at the fact that they keep trying it and trying it, you know, that's, that's, that's what entrepreneurism is all about. It's like dealing with that fear and will in that willingness to basically look at it every day and know that you're not getting that paycheck that you've got to actually make something happen. And if you don't make something happen, then, you know, you're going to be in a really bad predicament in your relationship you're going to be in a really bad predicament with your landlord or your mortgage company. And so when I started to explore, well, maybe I'll get into this bull riding. I thought I would just do it for fun. And I went up to a school up in Napoma, California, plug out to my bull riding coach, Gary LeFew, bull riding school. And he looked at me and said, what are you doing here? You know, it was a professional school and there was professional cowboys looking to learn how to better their craft. And there I was pulling up in a Mercedes Benz and I was like, no, I just want to see what this is all about. I think this will help me to be a better entrepreneur. And he was like, entrepreneur. And I was like, yeah, entrepreneur. And one of the things that I got out of it, and I really take 
to this day is, is how do I address fear and how do I slow my mind down and think about in a fearful situation what it is that I'm actually addressing? So talk, talk about that fear. Like what, what, you know, that correlation, like what, what, what are entrepreneurs most afraid of? Well, everybody will say failure, you know, because obviously failure, you're putting your, you're putting your heart and soul and this is your baby. It's too broad a term though. But, but to me, I think the biggest fear in most of our eyes is, is that we're never going to account to anything because we all want to account to something big. We want to put our DNA on the universe. We want to basically be in Wikipedia. We want to have that. Yeah, I was behind that. And the fact that we go our whole lives and never achieve that or accomplish that, to me, that's a huge fear because it's not that I want to have that beautiful car or that big house. But for me, it's all about, I want to do something of purpose or I want to do something that I feel like, wow, this is, this is what I've created. Or this well, is I what think if you go are. after, if you, if you start with just money in mind, you actually won't get there, right? Like Correct. if you, if you focus on, on purpose, purpose leads to profit. It doesn't, it's not the other way around. Right. And, and, but, but I think, you know, for me, if I were to talk about fear, like in my twenties, I was fearless. I had no fear at all. And so like I was perfectly suited to be an entrepreneur, which is why I think everybody who in their 20s ought to take a straight commission sales job, learn some, you know, cut their teeth and then just go and take massive risk, right? So which is the key of entrepreneurism, like, you know, take massive risk. If you don't have a product or an idea or the, the know-how, go and work inside of an organization that's going to give you you know, compensation based on solely on your performance. So you can learn whatever you need to do and then go on to something else and, and, and take that risk appetite and that profile to do something else. But I think, you know, as, as a, now as a, you know, a married guy in my mid forties with two kids, like the fear is like, holy shit, like I got the weight of all of them, like the burden and responsibility, like not to dis- disappoint them, not to let them down. You know, and, and I, I don't know if it's a, mo- it's, it's, it, fear is an interesting thing because, and you could talk about this in bull riding, harnessing that fear is the essence of staying on for eight seconds, right? I, I mean, isn't I, it the same I, thing for entrepreneurism? I would agree because you, you know, you've got to slow your mind down or you've got to put fear in front of you because you don't want to be a madman because a madman is really somebody that's not going to succeed. You want to understand and you want to respect fear. But you just hit you just hit home on something, and that is, is fear elevates when you've got the two kids and you've got the financial responsibilities and you want to provide for your family, but yet you're almost like selfish because you can take the sure bet and you could take the 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 job that you know you're going to get paid and you could take the job that you know that in a couple of years you can move up the ladder possibly. But yet you're kind of selfish in a way where you feel like there's something bigger and you've got that skill or the ability to take it to that next level. But you're always literally worried. Do I really have that skill? Is it the smart move? Am I being selfish? And so you're juggling fear, fear that you could potentially jeopardize your family, jeopardize your relationship or the fear that maybe it's, you know, a situation where maybe you're not cut out and you second guess yourself. And it's that fear that you almost like a, like a washing machine have to juggle. And some days you have to realize that, you know what, it, it, it got the best of me, but tomorrow's going to be a new, new day. And that's kind of that whole thought process with bull riding. And again, you know, I, I took it kind of seriously. I got into it and 
Instead of playing golf at 35, I took up bull riding. There's this really it, interesting quote too from uh, Mar- it was a Mario Andretti quote. He said, "Faster, faster, faster, till the thrill of speed overcomes the fear of death." And I think that when you're harnessing that, when you're harnessing that fear and the thrill of success and achievement and you know um, results and impact and significance overcomes the fear of failure. That's when you're really, that's when, that's when, you know, all of that stuff falls away and you get into that focus bubble, right? You get that, you reach that level of, you know, in that, there's a great book called Stealing Fire where, where the guy talks about heightened states of awareness where they cause ecstasy, where the, where the world seems to drop away from you and you can get focused. And so what you talked about quieting your mind, um, what, what people do meditation for, what people are doing you know, taking, you know, uh, different types of hallucinogens and, 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 and biohacking and things of that nature, uh, or yoga, like all of that's about breath and silencing your mind and being able to laser focus in so that you can, you know, you can kind of capture those moments and really, um, maximize your, your, you know, take your game to that, that extra level, right? I don't think Michael Jordan was ever scared to have the ball and it's because his focus was so, laser focused dialed in right and his breath was right and in that moment when all the pressure was on when he could be afraid of missing the shot he just stepped up to that you know to that moment knowing the practice was there and and everything else so so you took this bull riding thing right and and this ability to capture fear and you know you then leverage it to take a an outrageous something that most people would think is absolutely bananas just to get attention for your business. Why don't you talk about well, that? Well, it, it was at first I was thinking about making it as a as an attention to my business, but then it was also I really enjoyed the whole thought process that you would have to go through, and you would literally before you got on the bull or when you started to ride, you actually had to have your mind go through the motion of exactly what could happen and how you were going to counter or what you were going to do. And it, 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 you know, as an amateur and someone that has no right to get on a bull, it, you know, it, it, it wasn't very successful for me at the very beginning because to me it was kind of like, okay, I did it once and I won't do it again. But every time I kept getting on and on, I was like, wait a minute, you know what, I'm, I want to take this thing a little bit more serious and serious. And with that came the skill of looking at what it is that I had to see myself if the bull went left or the bull went right or the bull spun and how am I going to address it? And it was one of these things that it just kept on getting better and better. Now, I never got to a level of winning anything, but the fact that I actually, what I say, got on, to me, that's what I say to any young entrepreneur, it's, it's not necessarily at times that you succeeded. It's the fact that you got on and you're, you were willing to basically do what you really wanted to do. And you didn't take that status quo job at that time. And that's how I relate to bull riding with the whole entrepreneurism. You know, it's, it's. So, so, and then, and so you, you're, you're trying to get some attention for your business and, and you're in the, you're manufacturing products that were being sold at, at big box retailers. Correct. Right? Um, and, and what would get to give me, what's what was the product? Well, I, I can't so, remember. So I've, I've had a couple of products and every one of my products that I've had, and I think this is somewhat of my gift 
it relates to something that I see and say, well, why is there nothing out there like this? Or why is this product not being made in a, in a different way to solve a problem? And one of the things that I focus in on when I'm looking at making a product is how big the market is. And can I, as a solopreneur, as I have been many, many, many years of my life, how, how can I, as a, as a, as a one man team self-funding, how can I scale this thing out? And one of the things that I started to realize, especially in the product business, dealing with big box retailers is, is you can only go so far and you've got to come up with a second and third. And fourth you were doing product. like housewares, right? Wasn't it? Correct. House- so, and, right. and, and like, 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 um, give, like we'll give an example, like mold, poured mold, plastic. Correct. Inje- injection molding. So, Keep in mind, you know, you got a marketing guy from Long Beach State with about a 2.5 GPA, knows nothing Dude, about it. You crushed me in GPA. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the closest thing um, I had to 2.5 was my blood alcohol level. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I was competing with a laboratory rat for that last acceptance in, uh, you know, the business school. I mean, my, my, my situation is, you know, I've always focused in on it's, it's, it's not your GPA. And it's, it's not what you've learned. It's, it's, it's how you basically bring it and what you do every day and how willing are you to basically make it to the next level. And with the products, I brought products into Target, Walmart, Costco. I brought products overseas. I mean, people would say that those were wildly successful ventures, right? Like people like die, they get one product to market. I mean, so you go through the you go through the injecting. You got the prototype. You go and you 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 go over to China and you make sure you find the right factory, right? Well, it, it, it 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 this all ties into my last my current venture, and that is is I was every venture that I had with a product, whether it was a wine aerator or it was a steam mop or it was a face brush or it was an apple peeler or it was a cake cup holder. I mean, these are diverse products, and they've all come about. Because my wife would either buy something or she would basically get something as a gift. And I just kept saying, I can do and make something better. And one of the things that occurred in all of those years of making products and and dealing with addressing how I could basically create the next product and the next product, the next product was is the financial burdens that go with it, where you're self-funding it and you're coming up with, you know, thousands of dollars to tool and you're going to China and you're making money, but then you've got to pay back the retailer for, you know, buybacks, et cetera. And with that, myself and my wife went to many marriage therapists because being married to an entrepreneur or somebody that wants to live this lifestyle, it's, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy for the family. It's not easy for your partner. It's not easy on anybody that is deciding to get involved in this type of, uh, journey in, in, in really wanting to, you know, be that successful startup, you know, you know, fast company person. So one of the things which is interesting, Adam was, is that, that one of the therapists said, well, why don't you cap him or why don't you agree that if he does something, this is what he has to, um, you know, expect, you know, spend with the family money that is being thrown into this. And so one of the products that I created was a K-cup holder called Kofik, which did really well. I got a purchase order from Target. The order was pretty large. I needed to somehow make the product in a window. If I didn't make it in that window, they would pull the PO and I needed to get a ton of molds, shooting parts and assembled 
and into a container by a certain drop date or else I would lose the PO. Now, keep in mind, I had to put up quite a bit of money to get the molds built. And the factory in China that I went to was constantly on Skype at the time telling me that, oh, we're having this problem, we're having that problem. So I said to my wife, I've got to get on the plane. I've got to go to China. And she said, well, we have an agreement. And that is, is that you're not going to go there and throw more and more money at something if it's not working. You know, you're going to have to understand that, you know, this has to stop. So I went to China. I went to a big injection mold factory that I was doing business with. They were shooting the parts. The parts were not coming out right. I went back to my hotel. I go back the next day and they would say, oh, Mr. Sean, this didn't work. That didn't work. And then finally I called the factory owner in and I said, look, you guys keep calling me after the fact. I need to watch the parts being shot to see what it is that you guys are doing wrong. And he was like, okay, okay. Next day, didn't do it again. So I had a lot of the family, uh, let's just call it savings into this K-cup holder called Kofik. And I pulled the factory owner and I said to him, see that room over here? Because in China, everybody lives at the factory. It's like a dorm room and um, it's not the best living conditions. Let's just say that. And I said to him, see oh, that the, room? the third world economy coming into its own. Yes, yes. Oh, it's getting better. But yeah. to make a long story short or to get to the point, I told him that I'm going to live in this room. I said, get these guys out, put them in another room. And I'm going to live in this room so that this way, when you're producing my part or you're shooting in what's called the T trial, the trials, you know, the trials to basically get the part right. I want to be there. I don't want to hear that. Oh, we tried it. So he was like, oh, very dangerous. I'm like, look, you know, I'm a 200 something pound guy. I'm not trying to say the Chinese people are definitely not tough. But at the end of the day, I didn't coming from New York. I didn't feel too threatened. Uh, to 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 be living in the factory. What threatened me was the fact that there was no mattress. What threatened me was is there was a hole. That yeah, what threatened you was your wife sitting at home going, "You can't spend any more money, otherwise." Well, well, it's 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 so funny because what I said to him is, I said, "Look, someone's going to die, either me or you guys." Because at the end of the day, I can't come home telling my wife what occurred. So I said, "I'm in this room." I'm not going to basically leave the factory until we shoot the parts correctly. And this thing is literally in a state that I know that's going to get on those containers because I have quite a few containers. So the first day, everyone was looking at me weird at the factory when I came out of my room because I was wearing shorts. And in China, a lot of people are not very hairy. Um, and, you know, I had my open leg shorts and, you know, I was wearing a T-shirt and they were looking like, oh, you know, I don't get it. And Who's this gorilla that's taking residence in our factory? Well, I, I called myself Panda. I said that I was going to liberate the entire factory. And I called myself, uh, you know, like Kung Fu Panda. So I was joking around with all the factory workers. And then they started calling me Shomao, which means Panda. So I said, yeah, I'm Shomao. So then the next, the next, the third day, I started playing basketball with the factory workers because they get done at, they start at eight and they get done at nine and then they play with no lights outside. And I started playing basketball with them. Then the next day I was playing badminton with some of the, some of the, the girls that were playing because they played basketball and badminton. And next thing you know, I'm like this folk hero where I'm basically living in the factory and I'm basically playing basketball and I'm playing 
that you know, you're, 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 you're acting as if, right? All the things you hated when you were at ADP, right? Like all of a sudden you're the manifestation of the leader that these people are dying for, right? Someone who's walking the walk, talking the talk, living their conditions, celebrating the way they celebrate. I mean, you, you rallied the, rallied the troops. Well, it, it's funny. It gets, this is kind of really where I get choked up about this story. So, you know, here I am, I'm building this product. I'm going to make quite a bit of money. These people are working their ass off and I start to become friends with them. Now, keep in mind, there's not a lot of English going back and forth. And I had a translator and I'm using, you know, my, my smartphone to say something and translate. And, you know, after the first week, I'm like, oh, I'll just go back to the hotel because let's face it, you know, they're getting it right. But then I realized I can't because... I would have been no different than some of the others that come in and they make all these people work hard and they go back to the hotel and they deal with senior management at, at the factory. These people were almost looking at me like I'm one of them. And so I asked a couple of them, I said to them, how do you, you know, see these Westerners coming in, you work for a dollar or, you know, whatever you work for per hour, <coughs> you do the same job over and over again. How do you not have this dislike, you know, like we talked about that I had dislike of, you know, being, you know, in that, you know, small table and they, they didn't want to open up to me, but I could see that they just accepted the fact that that's all they've got. And it was like, wow. You know, yeah, well, communism, right? I'll do that to you too, right? Well, I mean, yeah. and, and obviously it's like capitalists been there, but, but you think about those factory workers, like they're they have the same fears as you or I did we were talking about, right? Their fear is that their family in that far, you know, hundreds of miles away isn't going to have enough food to eat or enough clothing to wear. And so they've got this, you know, horrific quality of life. And again, it's getting better all the time. But, but uh, you know, from what I know there, it's, 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 not a, it's not a picnic. No, but, you know, what's funny is, is then they started opening up to me and they started telling me and they said, look, you know, they, they made the best of it and they found enjoyment and they, they enjoyed what they were doing. And, you know, they go with, you know, when, when the Chinese New Year hit, they would go back to their village, as they called it. And they, you know, it was just amazing. Like, so I couldn't leave. And after three weeks, I'm like, okay, four weeks. And we were starting to get things right. I, I wound up there for seven and a half weeks of living in the factory. And it was literally, I don't want to say the best experience in my life because that would have been my two kids. I was going to actually, I could have finished that sentence for you. Yeah. for From <laughs> a business standpoint, like it, there was nothing better than these people giving me like, it, there's something called moon pie day and they would give me moon pies or they would give me this or they would give me that. And, it, you know, the gratefulness that these people gave me for, for you know, I, just being- I think I think there's this, I think there's also this thing about, you know, my, you know, my favorite times, like, like when I look back on my early entrepreneurial, you know, period of my life, right. My first venture, I'm in my twenties, I've, you know, failed a business already and, um, you know, under the pressure of massive debt and literally sneaking past my landlord's, you know, apartment to like get to my, my, to get to my apartment and hoping that he doesn't hear me come in, you know, or crashing a happy hour because I knew that there would be food there. Right. So you buy one beer and you eat like, like six plates of chicken wings and a lot of celery, 
and you Love know it. it's the only legit meal you're going to eat for the next two days. And uh, like those, those, like looking back on those, those are some of my favorite, like you know, memories of of you know of of it, it's it's much more exciting. Than, and I'm not comparing it to like the birth of your children or anything, but like it, you know, when it comes to business, those are a hell of a lot more memorable than the trophies you get right or the acknowledgement you get or the you know the 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 write up in a newspaper or you know a comment or a like on your facebook page um I agree 100% i mean i mean so the- so so let's talk about the toll this takes and and i want to i want to kind of you know transition to talk about life couple and where it originated but you know you and i've had numerous conversations about you know that when the hardest the hardest thing I think about being an entrepreneur is that nobody, you right, can understand your ambition or appreciate the price you're willing to pay in order for to you know to achieve the purpose that you were meant to achieve, and least of which your your loved ones, right, your family, your kids, like they 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 you know, and and that balance is is tough, right? You always feel this. I always felt like this, you know, through my entire career. There's this tremendous amount of guilt like all the time. I'm guilty that I'm not at work when I'm at home and I'm guilty that I'm not at home when I'm at work. And and like, you know, and and we drag our loved ones through this, which ultimately puts a lot of pressure on our relationships. And um, you know, and and I, I would imagine uh the birth of life couple was probably out of some of, you know, that challenge that you had with your spouse and and your guys' relationship. It might be a big leap, but I'm just guessing. It, it was 100%. So over, over the times of, you know, trying to, you know, trying to make a product successful, getting close, then going back and saying, well, I'll just go work for in a corporate environment and maybe that will work. And then being miserable and saying, I, you know, want to get back into the game as I call it and create another product or get back to being an entrepreneur again and not getting it over the goal line, or I call it getting that scoreboard to the part where it's like, now I really can, you know, get whatever it is that I want to build to the next level. Um, I kept, you know, coming home and every time I come home, you're working what I call that third shift. So you got, obviously you've got, you know, your family life, but then at about nine or 10, you know, you go into that room and you're trying to crank out what you're trying to crank out. And, you know, you just kind of stare at that computer at times and you think that the magic's just going to come out and at two, three in the morning, you know, you go to bed and then you wake up. It takes its toll on you on a, on a physical standpoint, which then reflects how you show up, you know, in a, in, a, in a family environment at times. So, you know, with me, I've always been blessed with a lot of energy. So that's not necessarily what caused the stress in my family. What caused the stress in my family has been that, you know, I've always wanted to be somebody that can offer so many things that I couldn't get as a kid. And because I was failing and not delivering that, I felt like I was a failure. And because I was a failure, I kind of went into a shell. And when you go into a shell, your partner starts feeling like you're going to a shell because of them. But what you're going to a shell for is because you've got this drive that you want to be the successful entrepreneur. So with that in mind, and keep in mind, there's other things that my partner brings to the table as well. But one of the things that happens is, is you start showing up in a way And that could trigger your partner to assume something in their childhood. So when you've got a partner that potentially had a father that was not attentive or a father that didn't give them the satisfaction 
of or or the other side, right? Like they came from an environment where you know their father was always there, right? Like you know, like like my wife, um, you know. Uh, I love her to death and and I wouldn't be where I am today if it weren't for her. And, and, and I certainly, my relationship with my kids wouldn't be as fantastic as it is if it weren't for her, because, you know, I had a model where I didn't necessarily get the kind of attention or demonstrative kind of affection or uh, the, the, the presence, like being there, right. My, my, my mom was a single mom. My parents were divorced. My, my, my father, you know, was, was pulled towards his business. My mother had her responsibilities and my wife is like, you gotta show up, you gotta show up, you gotta show up. And, you know, sometimes the expectations were almost unreal are, you know, have been unrealistic, right? Like, you know, or, you know, and, and it's a, it's a challenge when, when, you know, she grew up in an environment where, her father was always there and God bless him and God bless her for, for having that fortune. But that guilt, like that weighs on you so much. And it definitely causes this, like, you know, this, this friction point, um, you know, and, and I, I don't know many entrepreneurs that at some point haven't had, you know, that rub in their relationship. And usually like what you want as an entrepreneur, you just want to say to them, like, you know, like I love you and I've never let you down and I'm not about to, but I need your support because this thing is hard enough. It's hard enough on its own it, without me having to come home and get punched in the face right? like I, when I, I walk through the door. I agree. And the hardest thing is an entrepreneur to have a partner that might not have grown up with somebody in their family that's an entrepreneur is they're used to taking that safe bet and they feel that safe bet. If it's good enough for me, it should be good enough for you. And, and, and it's this struggle that you have because there's your partner that sees that person that's living that lifestyle that, wow, this is fantastic. But yet a lot of people don't realize what went into that lifestyle. That person, you know, when I watch Shark Tank and I hear Mark Cuban and what he talks about with him and his wife went through and I hear other stories, it's, you know, it's not necessarily just boom product. Now you've gotten to that lifestyle. And even in your corporate career, let's not leave out some of the people in the corporate career that have gone and decided that they want to build themselves up on that corporate level and put in the time and energy because I don't want to downplay people. Yeah, no, listen, in the small time that I was in a corporate level, right, I took a, I took a role as a vice president for a Fortune 100 company, 150 company, which meant I was going to travel a lot more. And it was a battle. <laughs> it was a battle. It was like, you you know, like when's enough enough? Like, like we, aren't we, you know, like that doesn't matter to me. Like, like, you know, having more money, having more success. And I used to, you know, the battle I would have is like, look, if you want me to be the best husband, I can be in the best father, then I need to be fulfilled. I need to be happy. And I'm not happy being like, you know, I, I, I used to in, in moments of frustration say, look, you should have married a teacher if you wanted somebody home at three o'clock in the afternoon yeah. and, you know, with summers off, like that's, that's not who you married. And, uh, and certainly like, like the friction, I mean, geez, did I do, I mean, we went to therapists, we went to, you know, we went to counseling and, and fortunately, you know, I had this, I've, I've gone through a lot of self-reflection and, and personal growth about trying to be a better partner and, um, you know, some of it spiritually, you know, based and, and so forth. But I think I'm a better husband today than I've ever been. Um, and I think it's, you know, I think it's a challenge, but I'm still not, I'm still not 
as thoughtful as she'd want me to be. I'm you still never probably, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I still, yeah, yeah, yeah. I still screw it up all no, no, the no, time. No, and I, I think, I think this is a universal truth, not just amongst entrepreneurs. I think every man, right. We uh, all screw it up. I, I, you know, it's unfortunate and diving in a life couple, there's, there's a lot of things that I've found, but you know, you know, unfortunately at times, you know, men have their, you know, issues and it, you know, idiosyncrasies. And then you've got women that, sometimes put the, uh, I'm going to call it, put the bar at a level that unfortunately a lot of times men can't reach or that, you know, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. And there's so many things that I've learned that from a guy, and I'm certain many of us guys are like more literal. So, it, it, you know, where I grew up in New York and where I grew up, if you said something, you literally meant it. And with a lot of times with women, they say it, but they say it to get your attention or they say it for a reason that we don't get and we take it the wrong just way. Explain it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and we, we we've we, got to be, know. we have to be really careful on this, on, in this section of the podcast, because we will alienate half the audience potentially. Um, but you know, it's like, it, it's, it, you know, all women want to be heard and all men, you know, want sex. Like it's pretty, comes down to, to, to pretty simple, you know, I would agree. Like, you know, I mean, like, like I read that book, women are from Mars and men are from Venus or whatever. And the five love languages and all these yeah. other things. Gary Chapman and John Gray, two people wrote books that have just reached beyond belief, monumental sales. And both of them don't have a background in in the whole therapy world and that's kind of what happened to me with and this is a good segment into how i came up with life couple each yeah, time well, I, well, first before you get into how you came up with it talk a little bit about like the premise of life couple sure. um, this app-based technology like what what what's the what's the mission what's the vision uh, of life couple what are you trying to accomplish with it so so one of the things that we really strive on is not trying to make out that we're going to solve your marriage. We're going to help you through the hard times that your marriage is going through. We're, we're not a replacement for therapy. We're not going to say, get the app and in, in two weeks, you're going to basically see the Dramatic most amazing changes. <laughs> changes in your marriage. It, it, it's not going to happen because like being an entrepreneur, you've got to want it yourself and you've got to want to basically look in, as I call it, or lean in, and you've got to want to actually do the work. You've so, got and, to- and Life Couple, Life Couple is, is a app-based gamification to facilitate communication between partners in, that are in a relationship. Right. So, so on, on the terms that the other person wants to be communicated with, is that, is that a good summation? I think it's that. Plus it also opens your eyes to the different techniques and the different ways that you can go about addressing challenges in your relationship. I mean, you know, it's funny today's day and age, we're always looking for a new phone. We're always looking for a new car. We're always upgrading our operating systems but yet we don't want to look within and figure out what we can do to upgrade our own internal operating system. And what life couple does is it helps you with what you just said before, but it also helps you to find what works best for you. And one of the unique things about what's out there in the therapy world is, is that when you've got caught, you know, Jack and Jill or Jack and Jack or Jill and Jill, cause life couple is very LGBT friendly what you've got is, is you've got a couple that goes to a therapist and they don't know what they're getting into. They don't know what techniques are going to come down their way. They don't know exactly what 
they're going to uncover, whether they're going to uncover things that cause the relationship to go even worse, or they're going to create ways to make the relationship go better. And normally in that relationship therapeutic environment, you know, a lot of times the relationships already got decay or the relationships got a lot of negativity that's been built up. And you look for that therapist and that therapist is normally, is it covered by my insurance? Is the therapist going to give us that slot 5, 30, 6 o'clock where, you know, we can both get off work? Is the therapist going to be close to the house? And you pick that therapist on a lot of these, you know, search engine sites. You go and you're literally like, okay, what do we do? And those first sessions are normally what I call courtrooming where it's you're pleading your case, she's pleading your case, her case, and the therapist is trying to kind of walk that tightrope of, hey, how do I not piss him off so he comes back? And how do I show her respect so she continues to say, I want to come back? Because keep in mind, these therapists obviously you know, are in business to make money. And you start to obtain another week and another week and another week. So what Life Couple does is, is Life couple actually, before you explore therapy or if you feel like you can't afford therapy, it gives you a lot of tools or it gives you a lot of, I want to call it information to educate you on what techniques and what is out there that could work best for you and work best for you and your partner. And then it encourages you to do a deeper dive outside of the app, different than some of the other apps that are constantly trying to upsell you or sell you on a book or sell you on this or or. We're not trying to sell you on anything. What we're trying to do is, is almost like, hey, you've got a pair of glasses. We're going to basically clean the lenses, and then you're going to see you exactly know, what works for you. It's interesting. I, I actually, <clears throat> one of the few guys you know out there, I initiated going to therapy with my wife because we were at a place of impasse. And, uh, same, you know, same with me. Yeah, and, and our you know communication breakdown was there and 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 so forth and I'm getting way more personal than she'd probably want me to um and I found the therapy to be unbelievably cathartic it was good for her it made me vulnerable it, it helped her see parts of me that she probably didn't know that we never talked about and I left there always you know you know I there tears and and emotions and sometimes anger and and but something about getting all that stuff out in a therapist's office in a neutral ground with someone who could facilitate and be a, a mediator was incredibly healthy, right? The problem was that we went once a week and then it became once every two weeks and then it became once every month and then it became when we needed it. And what you see is like when you, when you, what I saw was okay, when we got away from it because life got in the way, all of a sudden our relationship, we started to drift away again. And when we were going regularly, like we were holding hands, there was more. And, and I think that, you know, the challenge with therapy that I saw, it's kind of like if you went to the gym once a week or once every two weeks or once a month and you had, an unbelievable three-hour workout. You burned two thousand calories, and you know you woke up in the morning and you couldn't move, and like you would feel really, really, you know, like great about the effort. But the next day, you wouldn't be any healthier than you were before. Like it's it's the it's it's the discipline and the consistency that reveals your potential that creates that health. I mean, is is that? What your yes. app is trying to accomplish too is yes. to create some consistent engagement. It, it's it's funny, you know. We both grew up where cell phones were not an everyday. That's what I'm going to do and get on. In today's day and age, 
you know, they say that the cell phone is the death of relationships. You know, I've kind of phrased or coined, I look to take the iPhone and turn it into the Wii phone. So that device that you're a lot of couples spending four hours a day on. My wife was giving me a crap because I was playing Angry Birds. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're taking that device and coming up with fun ways that you can explore how you can work on your relationship or do little things that can bring your relationship back on track. And those little things are kind of how you're rewiring the way you both think. Those little things are changing the dynamics or changing that pattern that is just not working. It, 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 it's not a quick fix. And that's why I say that I don't make life couple out to be the solution to solve your problem. We offer you different solutions within the platform that you can explore. And from there, you're going to solve your problem by taking that solution and you are going to lean in. You're going to look in, you're going to look in the mirror and you're going to see exactly what it is that you need to potentially change or you're going to look in the mirror and see certain things that you're not willing to change that you, you know, feel like this is who I am. Yeah. That push, that push notification reminder that would say, Hey, dumb shit. When you walk in, go and give your wife a kiss or like, Hey, you know, why don't you leave your phone in the car tonight and just listen? You know what I mean? Like the, the, the reminder to just be present would be, would be optimal. And my, my wife would say the cattle prod would be the, the key. And if she would just get, Hey, you know, maybe be a little romantic. Why don't you, you know, think about, about being, uh, you know, appreciative for everything he did today, even though he's a miserable prick, you know, like (laughs) it's so funny, funny. you know, all, all the entrepreneurs listening, the one thing that we all kind of, I would say are really guilty of is we come home and we're so jacked about what we're doing. It almost consumes the house that everything's about us and everything's about our startup. And we don't realize when, you know, our partner, you know, has a job, we don't even ask how their day is going where they look at us like, you know, you got this excitement and you're doing this and you're doing that. And I've got to listen to the same thing over and over yeah, again. I'm dealing with the kids or I'm, yeah, whatever or, it yeah, is. Or I'm dealing with the kids. And, and it's like little things like that, that we're like, no, but you don't get it. I'm doing this because when it succeeds, we're going to live this great lifestyle. And we're going to go to Cabo and we're going to have this and we're going to have that. And it's so funny is, is when you hear all the different podcasts that are out there and they promote how great entrepreneur, you know, being an entrepreneur is and how successful you're going to be. I mean, 52% of any entrepreneur that's married is going to be divorced. Yeah. So you Every- might as well value your business at half. Yeah, right. every 34 <laughs> seconds, a divorce is happening. So if I was to tell any entrepreneur out there, and this was not about marriage, this was just about your business, that if you make $5 million, 50 or 52% of you that take the money and have to walk it to the bank are going to basically get, let's just call it robbed or let's just say, and, and I, that's actually a bad term because it's not Rob, because most partners of entrepreneurs or anybody in a relationship deserves half. But my, my feeling is, is it's like you guys built this thing for you both to enjoy. So why don't you try to figure a way that you're not basically splitting it in half? Because even if you do split it in half and you I mean, the thing, you know. this, the, the marriage thing is hard, right? And the running a business is hard and trying to get them all together. And, and that's, you know, why I wanted you on the, the, this episode as much as anything else is I think, you know, entrepreneurs need tools, right? We, 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 we have tools to help us run our businesses. We have tools that help us, 
you know, become more efficient. Um, we, we, we use, you know, CRM tools to manage our pipelines. Um, and, and, but, but there aren't really any tools that can help us, you know, work better on our relationships. And so like, I think life couple is, is one of those tools that, that, that really, you know, in its infancy and it's, you know, it's, it's obviously it's in its early phases. Um, but when I heard about it, I thought, man, there's so many applications for this. And, and by the way, the next iteration should be like, you know, business partner, uh, you know, like a version of this. Cause I, I think, you know, business partners also don't communicate effectively. And, uh, and this platform is, is a great way to get, make sure that that happens. You know, we, we, when, when, when life couples started to evolve, my wife at the time had a Fitbit and she was monitoring her health and I was looking and saying, wow, you know, she just did the following cycle class and she came back and it showed exactly what, you know, she ranked and all the fitness. And I started to think to myself, you know, we monitor our credit score. We monitor our blood pressure. We monitor our bank account. We monitor our alarm. We monitor this. We monitor that. You know, what about monitoring our relationship and getting an early stage idea of the relationship starting to go bad or certain attributes in the relationship that could be worked on? And when I created Life Couple, I thought of the heart. The heart has four chambers. And I thought, what are the four chambers of a successful marriage or a marriage that could become a healthy heart? And that was conflict trust, communication, and intimacy. And if we could monitor and we could see exactly where we're at with those four chambers and work on keeping those four chambers healthy, the overall relationship has a great chance of pumping blood and you living a happy life. Happier, right? A happier life. Yeah. So, I mean, so, so here's the quick, quick last question I've got for you. Has it helped you be a better spouse? Like has, has developing life couple helped you be a better spouse and, and, and do you see it as, you know, really, uh, has it become the tool that you hoped it would be so far? When, when, when I was creating life couple and I'm still creating life couple, it was me also learning about ways that I can fix my marriage and learning tools that I can be a better me. So by me doing what I was doing, I was almost self-medicating or trying to heal my marital challenges, which still exist to this day. You know, I never try to make out like I've created this app and my marriage is perfect. It is not perfect. You know, I'm very real and I don't ever, ever, ever make any claims that I don't feel like I can look myself in the mirror and be accountable. So when I was creating Life Couple, I was learning different tools or different ways and methods that work for me and that could potentially change the dynamics with my partner. When I put those tools into place, I started to try them out with my partner, but keep in mind, it's a challenge for me because keep in mind, I've got the dynamics of the whole entrepreneur. This is kind of a business. You said it was going to be easy. Yeah. So, so, so I started to say, yeah, it's helping me in my marriage and it's helping me with my relationship. But the big picture that I had was, is what if I help anybody that's in a situation that's looking for whatever tool it is to help them stay a couple or to help them make the decision on where they want to go with their current relationship. And the social responsibility that my wife started to see me so focused in on and see me so driven to stay up till two, three in the morning, 
she started to feel like, wow, you know, he's really doing something to make an impact. Yeah. And that was really changed. The well, dynamic. and also you like, you're committed to figuring out how to make relationships better, right? You're committed to this, this idea of making, you know, relationships better. And in the process, she's got to know deep down inside in her heart that she's going to, you're going to make your relationship better. I think the bottom line is that, you know, that there's two types of relationships. There are healthy ones and ones with great potential. And, uh, and you're helping them, uh, you know, reach that potential. Um, I recommend everybody download this app. It's available in your iTunes and in your, uh, in your, in your, is it, is it on Droid yet? Android also? Yep. It's, it's, it's in iOS. And one of the things that I, 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 I really strive to anybody listening to this is, is, you know, really, really don't take your relationship as if it's perfect. You know, we all, we all go out to those dinner parties and we see everybody and you think that that person got a great relationship. You know, don't, don't assume that everybody has this great relationship and that their relationship's perfect and that, oh, well, you know what, we're never going to be like this person or that person, you know, go out and figure a way to work on your relationship and constantly challenge yourself, challenge yourself to work on the relationship with yourself and challenge yourself to work on your relationship as being a better partner, a better father, even a better employee or a better manager. You know, your relationships are the key to happiness in life. And he who has tons and tons of bad relationships are, you know, it's probably fair to say they're not going to be too happy. I mean, and if they are ha- happy, then it's it's sad existence on this planet and to be in that predicament. Right now, the app is in beta. Is it fully baked? Is it? Yeah, no, it the, the, you know, the, the app right now, I don't want to say it's in beta because we've gotten so many more features and tools. We're, we're, we're now launching a, a live webinar and a live meetup that people at any given time could see a webinar that fits what they're going through and watch it and figure ways and skills that they can learn or they can join a meetup group. We've got so many tools that we're adding that we kind of took that beta tag off. And right now we're getting into what we call the growth stage. But one of the things that we're really trying to do is, is we're trying to get feedback. We're trying to build the base that we can iterate and add more tools that are more effective, that, that people can look and say, wow, this really helped me. Or wow, if you could change this, this would help me or it'd be more effective. So, you know, we're up for criticism, but we're out of the beta stage, you know, where, where, you know, we're making leaps and bounds. We're talking to national organizations that are looking to potentially endorse us. And are you, we, are you, are you, is there a charge for it currently? Are you paying, is a monthly, no, monthly fee? No, right now it's 100% free. It will be a subscription base. Um, we're kind of following the likes of Calm, which got a billion dollar valuation. We're all about providing content and value. And then from there, once we create that content and value, and we feel that the user feels they're willing to pay for that subscription, we're making it extremely affordable for less than the cup, less than the cost of two cups of coffee a month. You can get your daily dose of relationship. Yeah, I mean, look, when you think about one, how much divorce costs and two, how much you know therapy costs. I mean, 250 bucks a session, right, for a therapy. So- I mean, it, it, you're talking about what half a session a month, right? It's like what you're, what even when you get to the subscription level. But, but for now, you know, try it out. Hey, Sean, I really appreciate you being in the lighthouse. Thanks for your time today, um, and uh, keep uh, keep on charging, keep on telling stories. Uh, I can't wait to have you back in the in, in the future when this thing's got the unicorn valuation. 
I'm, 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 I am excited. I'm excited to come back in and give you and all your listeners an update. And I'm excited to see if people can uh, get to that startup or that entrepreneur goal based upon anything that I brought to the table in today's conversation. Thanks so much. Hey, listen to the podcast, share it with your friends, let everyone know uh, that the lighthouse is shining bright. <laughs> <laughs>